Good afternoon, good morning, welcome to CBC Chatter. This is an opportunity, a forum where Cobalt Banker Commercial invites uh, an audience and experts in the industry to talk about topics that are unique, interesting, and dive deep into the trends in, of commercial real estate. I'm Dan Spiegel, Senior Vice President and Managing Director of Cobalt Banker Commercial. You know, technology has impacted our business relationships, certainly. Right? We use many different social media you know, platforms, LinkedIn and so forth, to build our connections and strengthen our networks. But in the commercial real estate space, we're still, you know, somewhat, uh, I wouldn't say struggling, but still exploring how to use technology, actually make the business more efficient and get work done and, uh, and just make the industry uh, just cruise a little bit smoother and facilitate deals. Uh, in today's discussion, we're going to talk about financial tech or fintech and how some of the platforms and technologies that have impacted the financial services industry might be applicable to the commercial real estate experience. We have three fantastic guests today, uh, all coming from different backgrounds and perspectives in commercial real estate. And I look forward to having an engaging uh, conversation with them. Save your questions up. We will have questions at the end uh, and we look forward to dialoguing with you. So rather than do an introduction of each of our guests, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Each of them is an expert in a particular area of commercial real estate and particularly commercial real estate tech. Uh, so without further ado, Donna, I'm going to turn it over to you and uh, please introduce yourself to our audience today. Thank you, Dan. Hi, my name is Donna Salvatore. I'm the founder and CEO of Megalytics. We were an early CRE tech pioneer. We built out the first automated due diligence and risk mitigation platform for evaluating commercial real estate tenants. We have been working with major institutional investors and early adopters over the past seven years. And now we have a suite of real-time data-driven actionable solutions that reduce risk and optimize economic outcomes for owners and operators of commercial real estate uh, throughout their investment life cycle. Thank you. Excellent. Look forward to hearing from you. So, uh, let's see, Marissa, over to you. Hi, my name is Marissa Lamshaka. I'm the co-founder and president of OTO. We're a fintech company revolutionizing lease protection for landlords and commercial real estate. Uh, my entry into the industry was pretty untraditional compared to most since the first half of my professional career was spent serving in the Army following my graduation from West Point. Uh, I led over 100 soldiers in combat during the surge of 2007 in Iraq and served as a commander before transitioning out of the service to civilian life. Uh, I've been in commercial real estate for the better part of the last decade and been in roles on transactional and technology sides of the business. Uh, appreciate being here today. Excellent. I'm sure it takes some of your uh, military service background to have the toughness to get into certain organizations and make things change. It's great. We'll look forward to hearing about that. Uh, and Poonam, over to you, please. Sure. My name is Poonam Sharma. I've spent about close to 20 years in the real estate industry. I spent uh, the first dozen in commercial real estate development, property management, asset management, and private equity. Then I left and launched a prop tech company about seven years ago, exited that, and now I am running a small prop tech venture capital fund. Excellent. All right. So we have three different, really different backgrounds and, and perspectives. Uh, I myself have 30 years of experience in commercial real estate, all on the services side. So I have a different perspective as well. 
Uh, a number of us last week were at a, I think it was last week, a commercial real estate tech event. Um, and I ran across an individual who actually had come from the financial services industry. I want to say, uh, I believe he was a, formerly a bond trader. Um, and I, I think the comment that was shared with me is like, wow, all the tools that one might have as a bond trader in the financial services industry, I come over to commercial real estate and I, you know, we're still using Excel spreadsheets, right? Which, uh, which I do use, um, you know, and that's not just indicative of, you know, there's a lot of things. There's advancements on construction tech and some other areas, but I think to a large extent, the business, the way the business still gets done um, is very much maybe like it was, you know, maybe a decade or two decades ago. It has changed and technology facilitated, but it hasn't really revolutionized and made the process any, any more transparent or efficient for the people involved in transactions. So, um, so let's let's do this. Let's you know, Pranam, you came. You have a background also in asset management, as you said. So, I guess from your perspective, you know, prior to being an investor in in in, in property technology, what were your you know what were some of the challenges that you faced that you wish the industry, the commercial real estate industry, would address when it comes to uh, technology and what could might we learn from from any exposure to fintech methods or, or ways. I mean, I think when I was working in real estate, private equity and real estate development, the piece that I found most frustrating was something that I couldn't have put into words at the time, but it was the fact that such large global organizations doing so many interesting deals were really failing to be able to scale their internal processes. And they were there was a fear uh, about using new technologies. And the idea was the Excel works. We'll just make the analyst get the brain damage over handling the data and handling the information. We'll figure that our lack of precision in knowing every market we invest in um, is a rounding error because we're doing big enough deals so it doesn't really matter unless we, as long as we beat out the other guy that bid on the deal. Um, things have changed, right? I think six, seven years ago, it was still a nice idea to use prop tech for a lot of folks. They were coming around to the idea that sure, it may have enhanced their efficiency, but it was a nice to have, not a need to have. I think a couple of things have happened in the last seven to 10 years. Number one, you know, we had a pandemic, right? Which has given everybody time to take pause and really think about recession proofing and external event proofing your portfolios. A lot of that has to do with getting as efficient as you can and as scalable as you can and as manageable as you can and getting control around really understanding what's happening in your portfolios at all levels from the transaction to the operations to the management. The other thing that's happened is in many situations, it's a new guard coming in, whether before or after or during the pandemic, next generations in a mom and pop industry are coming in and they're hungry for the technology. So I think it's it's gone from kind of a, a nice to have to a need to have. And so many of those tools that we hoped would come into existence back when I was in the industry and in that side of the industry have now not only come into the industry, but there's three or four potential options that companies can look at. And it's just a really exciting time to be in it. I mean, the innovations just, you know, that have come up that are targeting such common sense pieces of transactions that should have been solved for decades ago. Um, it's fascinating. I mean, one example that I think of is, is Marissa's company, Otso. When you look at what's happened with, with lease management and just credit around leases, it's just, it's one of many pieces of the industry that's changing overnight at this point. 
Yeah, lots of great uh, segue. So thanks for that. I was going to say, you know, insurance products are, are, you know, I guess I'll say clearly a fintech type product, right? Insurance and commercial real estate, I think of, you know, property insurance to ensure you're building against storm damage and those sorts of things. But when I met um, Marissa and, and Josh and, and learned about the product, I thought, well, that's a really creative way to use insurance. So um, it's a great, it, it fits into our theme of using kind of fintech products, but applying it to real estate or fintech methods. So Marissa, why don't you tell us a little bit about how, you know, I don't know, how you came up with the idea perhaps, but also how your product helps use, use a financial product to make, perhaps to make the real estate transaction um, easier and get a deal done. Yeah, so um, as it, we, we came up with OTO from, derived from kind of our own challenges as commercial owners ourselves, where we struggled with two major issues. And number one was evaluating tenant financials and projecting tenant lease performance. Um, and number two is the exposure we had in every deal between that gap of what we collected in collateral and what we put, would put down in TI costs or, or deal fees. You know, there's always that gap between what you collect, um, leaving you as a landlord incredibly exposed in, um, in, in a case of default. So we created OTSO and OTSO offers the industry's first lease deposit insurance product that offers multi-year protection against every instance of tenant default. So we're helping landlords optimize protection over their assets, allowing them to gain additional protection so they aren't out all those deal costs if the tenant were to default. While on the other hand, tenants uh, love us because we're able to help them keep the capital in their pockets that they'd otherwise lock up in a traditional cash deposit or, or letter of credit. You know, otherwise, you know, just locking up any sort of capital, especially from a business perspective, is just wasteful. You know, at the end of the day, commercial real estate isn't rocket science. And so value is just simply derived from the percentage of a property's occupancy, right? So it, we just found it ridiculous that landlords don't have the tools to evaluate the quality of those occupants or, or have enough protection to feel confident and secure in every deal. And, and it's also crazy that there isn't yet a way to monitor the occupancy, which is where Donna comes in. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's interesting. I guess I describe you know your product as something kind of like PMI as in the mortgage insurance business. I don't know if that's a great analogy or not, but it's just something that wasn't thought of before. Like it free, as you said, it frees, it provides an extra level of surety for the landlord, and it frees up the capital potentially um, that might be requested by the landlord for security deposits and other kinds of you know financial uh, guarantees to make sure they'll perform on the lease. Um, so it's super interesting. It's a great, great example of applying, I guess I look at it as applying a financial product to commercial real estate to help the business get done and, and move along. Um, Donna, you, you know, you, you bring a kind of, your company brings a little bit, even a, a different perspective. I think, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, the, the idea of perhaps landlords not knowing how to evaluate the worthiness. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, you know, Marissa will help ensure the credit of the tenant, so to speak, but sometimes just even institutional landlords really may not how to know how to evaluate the credit worthiness of a tenant who may be, uh, you know, is going into a Chicago or New York space that requires several million dollars of build out, right? Which is a lot of expense on behalf of a landlord. And uh, I'm sure there's products like this, again, in the financial services industry that allow people to evaluate risk. Um, but I think, you know, what, what I sense, and, and while this may seem normal to many in commercial real estate, it was sort of a gut decision, you know, kind of look at some facts and they kind of go, um, yeah, it's a name we've heard of. So yeah. Donna, tell us how that, you know, some data science can actually help improve, and your product can actually help improve the decision-making of a landlord. 
Yeah. So uh, going back to a comment made earlier about Excel spreadsheets, I have to chuckle because I was on a webinar yesterday when a large leading data uh, companies in, in CRE gave this great presentation on all their data and all these great dashboards. And then somebody said, well, can I just put it into an Excel spreadsheet when I'm done? And so I was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, we, uh, I, I, uh, when we first started the, uh, everything was manual processes and Excel spreadsheets. So it was limited platform players. And um, now today, just for tenant due diligence and evaluation, um, we leverage proprietary scoring algorithms and machine learning and artificial intelligence to over 100 different uh, industry data sets, financial data sets that have been around, you know, standard and non-traditional data source to provide a really comprehensive view of, of what's going on with the tenant and the industry, but also being able to drill down to find the outcomes, uh, actionable key points, actionable, uh, actionable items to, uh, to address. And along the way, you know, as we find gaps in the solution set, we uh, reach out to people like uh, Otsu that can help get a deal done. So bringing in very innovative financial inst instrument that reduces uh, friction at the transactional level is uh, is really important. Yeah, um, that, that's great. You know, um, I think our, our role, at least in the, the services side of the business, is to be aware of these tools, right, to advise our clients that maybe they don't have to make the, they may still want to make a gut decision, but there are other ways to do it, right? There are other ways. And, um, you know, maybe it's easier at the private investor level when it feels like a little bit more personal risk. I don't know, as opposed to the institutional level. Um, but I guess irrespective, there's, there's definitely risk and in, in decisions that uh, property owners in particular have to make. Super, super so we, interesting. We, yeah, we've been, uh, you know, by streamlining and standardizing the, the tenant underwriting process, because everybody used to do it different, you know, different analysts, different methodologies, and or not do it at all. Gut feel. There was a lot of, you know, I I know what I'm doing, you know, intuition. So now the analysts can spend more time uh, with decision ready data, and they can um, spend their instead of these. Some of these analysts were spending all three days just digging up information. Then they had a from all these different data sources. Now all that's available in this automated platform with all the data feeds coming in at the push of a button and all of these business rules to analyze what to do uh, with the with the data and how to get the deal done and how to mitigate the risk and just make the deal happen. And so at the end of the day, people want to know, you know, if it, even if it's a poor credit, they want to know, well, how can I mitigate that poor credit? And the answer is with lease security. And then, then the question is, well, how much should the lease security be? And so we, uh, working with Otso, it's been great to have different options for determining, you know, uh, lease, you know, letters of credit or security deposit or guarantors and how much and when it burns down in a more quantitative fashion than just, you know, gut feel. Exactly, exactly. Gut feel and commercial real estate are just things that have have uh, always been the way, I guess I'll put it that Even developers, right? You know, they just say, I, I feel like this should be this project and they go for it. Poonam, I want to come back to something you said, because I, I think I experienced it as well, um, not in the space of these products, but just in, in decisions in general. There is a lot of prop tech out there, right? There, it seems like an increasing number. When you look, look for one product, there's like four solutions, right? And I think as, you know, for individuals on this, in this audience that are decision makers, it starts to become a little bit overwhelming to like, how do I make a good decision and how do the products connect? So as an investor and as one that evaluates products, do you look for 
connectivity between products? Do you hear, you know, you see it as a problem, the fact that there's a lot of point solutions that maybe aren't as holistic as they need to be? That's a really good question. I think it goes to the entrepreneur's mindset. When we're looking at a company, we're looking at a lot of startups in the space, the way that they approach the problem that they're tackling and how clear they are on the problem that they're solving is really important to us. So we want to understand that they're not trying to be everything to everyone at the beginning. It's a very dangerous thing, right? To say that you're going to be the one that's going to build the platform that makes everything okay for the broker or everything okay for the property manager, or everything okay for whoever it is. But getting really successful and really targeted and finding that product market fit in one tool for one end user is not the end of the game. We look, I would say, for companies that are going to be laser focused on solving that one problem. Maybe it's transaction management for 1031 exchange. Maybe it's lease securitization. Maybe it's, you, you, maybe it's, I don't know, automation of appraisals, whatever the piece is that they're trying to solve. But they have to have a larger vision about how their sales go from proof of concept to winning the industry. So we're looking for a plan that says, we already know who we're gonna partner with. Companies that can say, we don't want to become a headache to the buyer, right? So in, in the kind of train of thought that you were going down, if they're going to sell into a landlord, they should be thinking about the pieces of the day-to-day -day life of that landlord that are being solved together. So if you can solve property management operations pieces at the same time that you can solve energy efficiency around building management systems, those two tools should be connected, right? Um, I think it gets a little bit confusing for the buyer if they're connected up front. I think sometimes it's about the newer solutions finding the right partner that have already infiltrated the same decision makers and then and then selling in in that manner. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that's I, I would add something else. I also think it takes the entrepreneur uh, an understanding of how the the buyers thinking how they think what are their problems and processes to understand where their solution fits into the whole um i think absolutely yeah and i think that's well. one of the things that's nice about prop tech generally right now is you have a lot of people who are coming into it from the industry it's not general startup land where you've got uh someone who's done something completely unrelated saying i'm going to start a I don't know, a beauty innovation company or whatever it is, but they never did anything in that industry before. They don't even know who they're selling to. By and large, we deal with a lot of startups where the founding teams know who they're selling to and they used to be the person that they're now selling into. Um, it, it also is probably leads to the point about why the line between prop tech and fintech gets blurred because these people are thinking much larger about the industry. They're thinking about solutions to one problem that real estate is facing, but they're institutional enough in many cases to think about the larger implication of the tool that they're building. So the lines get blurred, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So let's just talk about that kind of approach you just described, Marissa and, and Donna, you decided recently to, to set up a partnership. Is that the right word or not? Um, because you're kind of you're both you know providing solutions around a similar problem i guess it might say like you know the how to determine you know um what, what the what the quality of a lease is and how to what number to assign to it so why don't you tell me why you, you know i guess either one of you can start but why did you make that decision to come together um in that fashion 
Well, I think a lot of where, you know, I agree with everything Poonam said. We've, we've kind of grown up in the industry together from startup founders like seven years ago and, and seen the same trends of, uh, and, and today it's, there's still that paralysis of, of just all of these solutions getting shot at, at all these folks on the transactional side that we knew when we started out. So it's like this niche solution and figuring out how to do that really, really well and, and solving this specific problem that landlords are having, you know, with, with protection. Um, but then kind of stepping back and realizing our bigger picture. And, and I know at the same time, our customers tell us this, it's just like niche solutions are great, but it would, you know, once they get that niche solution, they want the package up from there, right? They don't want you to start with them coming that I'm going to totally disrupt your whole cycle. They, you know, Disruption in commercial real estate's a, a sensitive word. You know, we think people are to the, to the extent of we just need things that innovate better and improve upon process, not totally disrupt a process. You know, our customers are are resistant to that. So when we saw, you know, us doing really well on this, you know, part of the deal and the lease deals, we realized. Well, how do we become to our customers a more comprehensive package for protection um, and security and monitoring of, of that side of of you know their managing their portfolios or their assets? And and when I met Donna, and she started telling me what she did, I mean, some of the stuff she did was in my head like roadmap things that we would want to do three to five years down the road from now and and some of the things that our cust current customers are you know asking about so when we met her it was just kind of a no-brainer you know together we we offer that comprehensive package and and appear stronger and you know kind of back to the, the culture of um of, of companies in this industry in the last decade i think you know there has been the, the forge of change is exactly what poonam said is is growing into these partnerships as founders as opposed to the kind of like this turf war culture that's been in the last decade you, you don't really see a lot of partnerships and so um that was that was kind of another uh reason we feel that you know going from a partnership route will be you know how we're better able to be effective and change in the industry yeah that, that makes sense and donna why did it make sense for you for in, in white to, to have a partnership with with Oso, you yeah. know, relative to the kind of solutions yeah. you provide clients mm -hmm. yeah we have the the same uh issues with our clients that you know they want to be able to get the deal done you're an asset manager but you, you know i have a questionable risk but if i can secure that lease and i can uh get the right guarantees behind it um right now that's the big question. What should my lease security be? Um, and, and some of these deals are, are big. There could be, you know, 20 million TIs. So some of them are small, but, you know, there, there's a big range there. And so right now the process is that they, you know, there's just very limited options out there. So to be able to tie the solutions together and come to the client with, hey, these are the three things you can do. This is what we recommend. This is how you can do it. This is, you know, a possibility right in front of you. They are excited about it. They are, they're like, great. I want to hear more. So, um, because you know, security deposits are, you know, can be taken during bankruptcy, and letters of credit are very intensive resource management during the pandemic when everybody was going after rent relief. Everybody was throwing their arms up, like, what, what, what did I do? What's my security on this lease? So it was, it was an area that was, you know, uh, very. Uh, you know, high demand to, to have some, you know, structure and how to, and, and quanti you know, have some qualitative analysis around the level of security and 
when we met with OTSO, it was like their roadmap was our roadmap almost, just in terms of alignment with future goals and better understanding. Uh, we have tons of lease data. We have tons of financial data. Uh, we have, you know, we're, solve, we're trying to solve the same problem and uh, trying to make it easy for landlords to just uh, get the, with the data they have on the financial creditworthiness of the tenant. This is what they can do. And that's spent a lot of time, you know, agonizing over it. Yeah, that's ultimately, Dan, you know, we, we like to say uh, uh, at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, you've done, you, you know, you've accomplished something is when people start to wonder how, why didn't like, how did I function without this solution before? Just like, you know, if Uber or one of these ride chairs were to go away, go away, I'd be like, how do right. I get to the airport? You know, like, um, <laughs> and, and so that's that's just kind of like how we see the value of what we're offering is one day we feel like landlords will be like, why don't I know anything about why? Did, how did I operate not knowing anything about my tenants financial health or or leveraging up and, and gaining protection on on every deal? Right. They could just say they had a gut answer, right? It was one month. If it was this kind of deal, two months, it was that deal. And it worked, right? But it wasn't very scientific and it may have not always proved right. Um, just to come back a little bit to the fintech product. So Marissa, I'm just curious. So it, it, it gets in my experience, using insurance to kind of ensure the risk of a lease is, is somewhat of a novel concept. Um, did you have trouble getting an insurance, you know, a financial company, right? Insurance agency to to buy into this as a, as a solution or were they, is it just Sort of like a duh, you know. I wish I would have known, done it earlier. Well, if, if you can imagine, the insurance industry is is a lot like commercial real estate. Maybe maybe even a little further behind from an antiquated standpoint. Um, but uh, so, and the timing of, of when we came to market was actually beginning of twenty twenty. So you can imagine at that point, the last thing any insurance company or even bank, which we were going after at that point to help to help back our deals, weren't really open to, to any new solutions. And so, and we had never started an insurance company before ourselves. So we figured to start, we, we did it ourselves and we wanted to find that product market fit. So we just did very, very small deals. So originally my, my partners and I just backed it ourselves out of our personal, out of our own personal, um, bucket of money and we would just do anywhere between three to ten thousand dollars to prove it out um and as we did that um you know our, our deal flow grew and the demand for bigger deals grew exponentially overnight um to which we did get the attention of our current insurance partner who's a 2.5 billion dollar carrier to back every single one of our deals so you can imagine i'm i'm sleeping a little bit better at night um that we were able to kind of pass over the books and and um have them take the risk from us from there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. As I said, I wasn't familiar that insurance companies would embrace it eagerly. So it's glad you found someone that did. Um, you know, Poonam, is, we have a few more minutes where we take questions. I was gonna ask you, um, as you look at different platforms and products out there, are you looking, do you, you lean in a, in a certain direction over products that add transparency to the deal, that add efficiency, operating efficiency to the process? Um, that solve pain points and where do you kind of look for, you know, as you invest or you evaluate investments for what kind of platforms solutions you think are going to have the best traction uh, in the commercial real estate industry? The short answer all is all of the above, above right? Transparency, <laughs> exactly. efficiency, you know, pain points, all these things, because we're, we're looking to back um, businesses that will win and make us lots of money and make everybody lots of money and make the industry operate better. 
Some one word though that keeps coming up lately in all the conversations that I'm having, even with other other venture capitalists as well, is infrastructure. Um, the way I would describe it is to say you can look at the real estate investment process and you can say, okay, this is the way it's always been done. We have, you know, you have to source the deal, you have to underwrite the deal, you have to find the buyers for the deal, the sellers for the deal, the the interested parties in the deal, you have to have them communicate on the deal, you have to have them negotiate the deal, you have to have them close on the deal, you have to have them. There's a specific cadence to the business of real estate operations, right? And that's established. Handling all those pain points is important. What a lot of investors are thinking about now is, sure, you want to invest in companies that are going to make those individual steps more successful, but we're also thinking about how the industry is changing. And when you look at changes to the industry, like the metaverse launching, like blockchain coming up and becoming a part of title management, you know, there's so much you could spend the rest of your life just reading about it and having brain damage. You can definitely spend the rest of your life having brain damage, trying to pick a winner in all these new spaces. So what we think about is the infrastructure. It's not about saying if the metaverse is successful, who's gonna be the most successful land seller in the metaverse. It's about saying, if you think the concept of a metaverse is interesting, if you think the concept of blockchain and as it relates to FinTech and PropTech is interesting, then rather than picking the winner, look for the guys that are powering the whole thing. Look at the infrastructure. And by and large, there's not four companies going after infrastructure layers of all these new innovative um, ways to deal with real estate. Does that make sense? I think that does make sense. It's an interesting way to look at it. Um, as you described the, the real estate process, while those of us in it seem it's very normal, right? But there's a lot of little component pieces and the underlying infrastructure of getting the deal across the finish line. I just, when you just spoke, there's so many places where it can get derailed, right? You know, so many places along those. And I think a lot of what um, both Marissa and Donna's product do, they help uh, minimize or, or reduce the risk of derailing a deal, right? By, by uh, demanding too much of a tenant or, or providing some surety for a landlord, I think, right? I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I would say transparency, know, though, is the most interesting one. Generally yeah, speaking, though, not. if you look at the transaction process, it is transparency because we're not living in a world anymore where people are necessarily thinking they're going to make a lifetime um, career in real estate based on just knowing one thing the other guy doesn't know, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so sure. full transparency supports everyone at this point. Yeah. Um, just before, again, before we go into questions, Donna, how do you, when, when your product first launched, because I know you've been around a number, a couple of years, I don't recall exactly how long, but how did you convince, you know, this is a question that comes up. How did you convince your potential, your prospective client that they needed this solution? Like, as again, there's a lot of momentum to like, I like my Excel spreadsheet. I don't want to change. So how did you sell into an organization to the point where they go like, I, how do I live without it? Right. Which is maybe where some of them yeah. are today. Yeah, there was that uh, inertia in place where everything's fine. You know, we don't, we, we're, we're just fine with the processes we have. But we uh, we evaluated, you know, on a beta test, you know, a few tenants. And if you cover one piece of data that changes the whole outcome on whether you want to do a deal, I mean, I'll give you an example. You buy a, you know, you, you do, and our, our process is used not just for underwriting, you know, for tenants, for new leases and renewing leases, but if you're doing an acquisition of a building and you've got a major anchor tenant 
and you find out, you know, right after you buy the building that major anchor tenant has has some founders that have been, you know, indicted by the SEC and they fled the country, then you want to be able to know that before you lose your major anchor tenant. So that one little piece of information that is not going to be necessarily on Google, but you know, is deep down in some public data sources. That piece of information that uh, you weren't looking for is what you have to find. So you need a system that can exhaustively, you know, compile everything and then decipher, you know, with business rules what's really important today and how to, you know, how to apply it. And there's just countless examples of that where we found, you know, we found digging deep, we found things that were, you know, uh, that could lead to a material adverse change in uh, a client's portfolio. And then it's just it's like an insurance product. It's like, I, I, I got to have it. It's like what I don't know. It's I need to know everything about my portfolio, my tenants, but what is it that I don't know that might hit me down the road and cause a loss of income? So that that was uh, one of the major um, for, um, processes that, that we went through in onboarding some of these new clients. And a lot of it too was once you sign up and a new lease, you want to know what's going on with that tenant, you know, five years, you know, you got a long-term lease. And if you have rent abatement for 12 months and then the company goes out of business in month 15, then you've really not had a good, you know, made a good economic decision. So you really need to monitor the tenants as well. Once you, um, and that are, you can do that now with technology. It's uh, once you have everything set up in the platform, it makes it one step further to be able to have continuous updates on, on what's going on with all your tenants and be able to yeah. proactively manage that. That's great. I mean, I don't have to hire just more financial analysts to figure it out. I can actually use a, a product. That's cool. Love it. Um, all right. So let's turn it over to questions. Rachel, I don't know. I think you're managing our questions. Um, I don't know if we have yes, any questions. Here. Yeah, please do. Yes. And I, I think our first question is, is for Marissa um, about default protection and how are they available on smaller commercial deals? And is there a minimum? Who might they be available to? And what kind of insurance companies are underwriting these? Yeah, so um, I th there's a couple questions there. So let me make sure I, I got all of that. So um, you said the first question was who's underwriting the the tenant? Yes, what insurance companies are underwriting okay, so, them? So that is that is our IP. We're, we're the ones that underwrite and partner with our um, with our insurance uh, insurance backer. But RIP, we created an algorithm to underwrite businesses, small and, and large. Uh, we currently um, cover up to half a million, but are looking at some deals over a million and are, are expanding our product to be able to um, accommodate uh, half a million plus um, deposits or, or, or policies uh, for our customers because we're getting um, high demand on that. And we cover every instance of default um, in that agreement. We knew that uh, uh, every every lease is different. And so we wanted to not make this onerous on our customers, the landlords. So we, we cover every instance of default in the lease. Did I answer all the questions there? Yes, yes, you did. Um, and we do have another question. Uh, what are some of the challenges we have faced, um, the whole panel, just on adoption in the marketplace? and? both from a product building perspective and also just adoption viewpoints. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I know I, you know, as I look at products for our own business, it's, you know, I can think, find things that are super cool, 
but getting getting companies to change habits and adoption is key to success, right? So I don't know if anybody, you know, anyone on the panel has any secret sauces to you know what they view is to to get a product adopted into the DNA of an organization. Yeah, a lot of times I have uh, a challenge. Go oh, ahead, Donna. Go ahead. Oh, I was go just going to say that uh, you know the you know the top of the food chain is these investors, and investors want to know what's going on with their tenants and the quality of those tenants. So I think a lot of, you know, we had a, a situation where it was actually written into the contract that, you know, all, all tenants of a certain size that were certain square footage or a certain percent of the total rent roll, those tenants would have to be evaluated by a, a third party company as opposed to just, you know, in-house quick due diligence. So I think that the institutional uh, owners of real estate will drive some of these uh, changes to have best practices in place to make sure that, um, you know, all, you know, the core competence of the real estate company is, is one thing, but, you know, to be able to really evaluate the tenant is, is something that is best provided by maybe a third party provider. Great. Other adoption uh, recommendations or strategies? Yeah, I think from, um, I'll, I'll take it from less of like the value prop that we bring to the actual adoption and getting people to to take meetings with you and um, and use your use your product. Uh, the struggle of that in this industry and and Putin alluded to this, you know, at the very beginning of the call is is I think the challenge with a lot of uh, founders in this industry in the last decade were those that came in that thought that they could that weren't in the industry and thought that they can bring in like an Uber model to commercial real estate. And that's just not how it, it works in our industry. And, you know, folks like Donna and I have sat in pretty much every every seat in the industry and, and have that um, intimate knowledge and understand, you know, specifically personally, I can speak to myself is we understand that symbiotic relationship between that tenant, landlord and broker. And so many things that we focus on and, and with Donna along with this is understanding intimately our customer experience and how do we want them to feel um, like, for example, at the end of the day, you know, Don and I were just talking about this a week ago uh, in bringing a new product uh, to to landlords for tenant monitoring. You know, we we discovered a landlord doesn't want to sign into a dashboard and look at all these like fancy reports. They don't want to learn any new tech. They want a report delivered to them once a month with with uh, where they don't have to sign in. But you're telling them what to do. So it's like, I think there's this balance from founders perspective in this industry is, is knowing where to meet our customers, where they're comfortable. And then, yeah, I mean, down the road, they'll be getting these reports. And then the next thing they'll probably ask for is like, can I get a dashboard or, or can I get an app for this? But it's, it's that importance of, of understanding, you know, where to meet them for that, you know, incentivizes them enough, not even just from more than just the value proposition from an action um, to to use your product. And then, I think yeah, you I think really there's a couple. Oh, I was just just to add on to that. I was going to say that, you know, I was thinking about it in terms of I talk to a lot of different entrepreneurs and I hear about how they're having trouble selling in when they start selling from small companies to larger companies, for example. And the challenge seems to be like the theme of the challenge of adoption seems to be that there's the decision maker. And then there's the actual user in a lot of these cases. And the person who makes the decision and writes the check or agrees to the expense may not be the person who then signs off from a legal perspective and definitely is not the person who ends up using the actual tool. 
So I think the smartest startups are the ones that understand that going in and they're like ready to meet them where they are and say, if, if this is, we're not trying to change your job, we're not trying to add work to your day, but if the end user wants to receive the report by carrier pigeon, we'll send it that way. If they want to receive it in their inbox, we'll send it that way. If they want a pretty dashboard, you want an app, what do you want? We'll, we'll send it, right? We'll send it by bike messenger, whatever you want, right? But that's a different conversation than who you're selling to, because who you're selling to is generally interested in how are you going to make me money? How are you going to save me money? My company, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, so Marissa's yeah, a great example. Yeah, I was going to say, I think one of our, our Cobalt Banker commercial core values is ownership mentality, trying to encourage our professionals to think in the shoes of the owner, if they're if they're pursuing a listing or a sale, you know, to really act in their shoes as if they were thinking about it, right? I think too often, again, I know from my experience, I feel like technologists will come, you know, kind of like a prescriptive, here's your medicine, it's going to be good for you, right? Just take it, right? And you kind of go, but do I need it, right? There's a lot of issues there. Um, let's see, we have another question here. I'm going to pardon for the uh, noise in the background, but uh, the uh, there's a there's a point solutions in connecting just two things in this case, uh, OTSO and uh, Megalytics. Is that enough? Like, do you do you feel like you have to connect more points to be successful in what you're trying to solve? Or is it is two at a time enough? I don't know if that's sort of a question for Putin, but sort of for um, the other guests as well. Points enough to, from to my perspective, an I think, um, yeah, I, I think we're always evolving and you have to listen to the customer mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Donna and I are, are still kind of in the early stages of our partnership. So we're not necessarily looking at other integrations just yet, as far as like figuring out our, our internal go to market. But I think from a, from a standpoint of, you know, doing it all yourself versus having other vendors and just from a standpoint of like the quality of products you're bringing to to the landlord, like I mentioned earlier, there are parts of what Donna's doing today that was in, or that is in our three to five year roadmap, you know, evolving from like a uh, insurance product to being able to, you know, sell data or, or, you know, provide other services like monitoring, but, but Donna's been doing it and she does it really, really well versus like me having to figure that out. And, you know, on the other side, Donna talking about securitization and figuring that out and, uh finding us instead of you know figuring out how to start an insurance company herself um we, we're providing better value like from a quality standpoint to our customers um in these partnerships and yes i think as we continue to grow and learn um there, there certainly is opportunity for for other integrations down the road That's and some great. of the you know some of the some of Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just saying, you know, earlier you're asking about the challenges that we face, you know, bringing a solution to market. And, you know, when you think about it, a lot of tenants uh, are resistant to share their financial statements, to give it to a broker and then have it analyzed. So we had to come up with some very creative, innovative ways to have them depart with those financial statements and something where, you know, we could bring value back to them. So, and then from a data perspective, we're pulling in just a lot of different data sets into our solution and our automated platform. And, you know, if you look at financial data sets, um, if I just pick credit, there like could be 10 different sources for getting a business credit or individual credit, not well, maybe four for individual, but, um, and all of those have different uh, ways to uniquely identify a company 
and a ways to evaluate them. And they all, sometimes they're not all, they're not congruent. So having the right business rules and understanding, you know, when I'm going to use this data source versus that data source is um, something that was a challenge to us early on. But, and it, it always is when you're dealing with multiple data sets that solve the same problem, which one do you use? What's the, what's the record system of, you know, record of truth? You know, what, which one is the best? So we've spent a lot of time developing, you know, proprietary algorithms and scoring to, to be able to, to handle that. Yeah, that makes sense. I was going to ask, put them just back to the question of point versus, you know, uh, relationships. Do when you invest, do you look for how A plus B plus C might equal something bigger, or are you really just yeah. kind of focused on like great idea, you know, just the, the individual's product? We're constantly thinking about what can work well together. Um, but to answer your original question, I was thinking, you know, it's not for me to say or for any one person to say whether two is the right number of integrations or five is the right number of integrations or 25 is the right number of integrations. The market will bear it out. But I think the, the correct answer probably is along the lines of is the whole more valuable than the sum of its parts for the customer, right? So if two solutions are getting together and partnering to try to go after the same um, customer because because solution one already has the ear of the customer and solution two is related to solution one. I'm not sure that's adding value for the customer. It's adding value for the seller. It's adding value for the startup. But if solution one plus solution two becomes a little bit better, faster, cheaper, stronger, et cetera, and they can work together the way that these, these women are with their companies and provide something more powerful, then yeah, I think the number of integrations and solutions that couple together should be limitless. We're seeing this in all sorts of spaces within PropTech that people are starting to partner because they see where the, the really strong tool that they've built can get stronger in the context of yeah. a larger umbrella. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's great. Uh, Rachel, do we have any other questions from the audience? Or... No, I think those were it. Um, definitely amazing. I realized feedback. I didn't yeah. answer one of the questions, Rachel. Um, okay. Someone had asked. I, you pasted it. Someone had asked if we if Oto can do uh, default protection for smaller commercial deals, and and yes, we do. We actually started with the smaller deals, um, and and do those small smaller commercial deals. That may be where your product is actually more needed and the national credit tenants may be less of an issue right the smaller deals where there's less transparency yeah i mean yeah i mean but national credit tenants don't like to lock up money either if they if they have to Correct. but yeah absolutely the, the bulk of the market is is these smaller smaller businesses and um smaller properties Excellent. and i think um just building on the single point solution versus integrated you know having it all in one platform i think the leaders um, in this space uh, that will emerge are the ones that can um, provide the most sense of the data and provide like a seamless value add to their daily businesses, business processes. So, you know, CRE stakeholders, they want actionable outcomes, actionable solutions. They don't, they, there's a lot of data out there. So I think the market is, you know, really fragmented today, but there is evolving now these best of breed players that have, you know, the expertise in big data, demonstrated ability to adapt, like, you know, during the pandemic and has, you know, already done, um, provided solutions to some of the larger institutional players out there. 
Uh, that's that's great. Good good point, Donna. Um, listen, we've had a great powerhouse panel today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I don't know if there's no more questions. I think we can we can wrap up. Um, I think my some of my takeaways is there's still plenty of opportunity to bring technology and integrate and get usage of technology in commercial real estate. As I said, there's lots of products, um, but there's still a there's still opportunity for innovative solutions. There's still opportunity to bring to market. Um, ideas and platforms that um, commercial real estate players hadn't thought of before. So that's, you know, there, there's still plenty of growth opportunity uh, in the commercials real estate prop tech space, uh, and some of which we can take and borrow from other industries like the fintech industry. So thank you, Donna. Thank you, Marissa. And uh, thank you, Poonam, for your time today. Really appreciate it. If there are any additional questions, you can direct them to uh, the information that we'll share with you in just a moment. But I want to really thank everybody, thank our panelists for their time today, thank our audience for joining us, thank you for the questions. Uh, as I said, Cobalt Banker Commercial brings you CBC Chatter periodically to dive deep into topics of interest in commercial real estate, but that you may not be thinking about every day. Um, I love that there are, our panelists thought about our core value of ownership mentality, because I think uh, that's uh, key to success, both in the transaction business, but also as we learned in the technology business when it comes to developing solutions for the CRE industry. So thank you. Thank you, panelists. Thank you, guests, for being here today. I, I look forward to continuing the conversation and uh, in hosting more CBC Chatter events in the future on all kinds of topic of interest to the industry. So thanks for your time. Hope everyone has a great uh, end of your morning or great afternoon, and we look forward to seeing you again sometime soon.